0: Like I said, if you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I am the pastor. Thank you so much. You're joining us in a series, our summer series. We're studying the book of 1 John, and uh, we're in a series called extravangelical. And if you're unfamiliar with the term extravangelical, that's because we made it up. And so we're creating our own words and our own definitions. And uh, the the term extravangelical, uh, it's kind of a play on two different words, the first word being evangelical, uh, and the second word being exvangelical. The word evangelical for the last 100 years or so uh, has meant holding on to the clear line of truth that was passed from Genesis through the Old Testament to Christ when he was on earth through the early church, all the way through the, the early church and the creeds, Nicene Creed, uh, through the medieval period, into the Reformation, uh, into the Great Awakening, into the evangelical movement. And so the evangelical movement was just a word to describe the straight line of truth. About five years ago, uh, and uh, of course, like heresy and diversions of the truth, those have been around forever. But like five years ago, the word evangelical became popular, uh, and it was people who were reverting. Uh, are moving off of the straight line of truth. And so we came up with a term called extravangelical, uh, which just means that we're back on the line. We're holding to the line. We're not going to be shy about being on the line. And we're going to hold to the truth of God's word. And we're going to do the things um, that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Two thousand years. I forgot to put the definition up in my slide or in my slides uh, this morning, but the definition is something uh, along these lines of uh, a Christian who is unashamedly committed, right, to historical biblical doctrines, and unafraid and unashamed in the midst of a shifting culture, and committed to partnering with the local church for the advancement of God's kingdom through both the conversion of souls and the formation of a godly society. That's an extravangelical, and that's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years until we got too smart and we started moving off the line. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the last statement in there, and that was the formation of a godly society. And I posted something this weekend on Facebook, which I do every once in a while just to make everyone's head explode. And so I posted something, and one person commented something to the effect of, "Uh, yeah, I love your definition, except for the part at the end that you made up which is the formation of a godly society. Where is that in the Bible? And I wanted to just drive over to this person's house, but I don't know where they live, give them the entire Bible and say, everywhere. <laughs> Literally everywhere. The kingdom of God is everywhere. That's where it is in the Bible. I didn't do that. Instead, I just texted a buddy of mine and said, I release you, have fun, okay? Okay. This way I can go keep doing whatever I'm doing. I don't have to check my Facebook anymore. This morning is also Father's Day, and I don't typically theme these like Mother's Day and Father's Day types of things, but this one kind of worked uh, well, and I intentionally chose to speak on what I'm speaking on this morning um, in, in alignment with Father's Day, and so I want to talk about protecting this morning. Protecting, And we know as, as fathers, this is one of our greatest tasks, right? This is something that we love to do. And Jesus uh, taught us about protecting. He was praying to his heavenly father. And he said this, he said, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, his followers, but I am coming to you. Holy father, you have given me your name. Now protect them. His disciples, which we are just the descendants of, this is in the great high priestly prayer. He says, Now protect them by your power. There's this idea. Of protection that the Heavenly Father, right? And we we don't always know what this looks like. This isn't a prosperity gospel. We don't always know what this looks like, right? And really he's talking about preserve their faith, preserve uh, uh, their their heart before God, right? Protect them in that way. But there's this idea that the Heavenly Father, then he's protecting those of us who are his. And I want to apply that principle this morning to the text that we're going to see in 1 John. And then I want to talk a very specific way about how we can practice this in 2023 right here in our state. And I'm going to be more clear this morning on what it looks like than I've ever been before on what it looks like for the church to play a role in protecting, right, protecting life, protecting parents, and protecting the rule of law. I'm going to be very, very clear in that this morning. And this comes out of... Um, uh, really a personal conviction about six weeks ago or so, I was invited to a meeting, uh, and I was in that meeting, and uh, I, I'm sitting there listening in to the conversation, and my heart was gripped uh, in such a way that I went home that day, and uh, eventually, I don't know if it was that day or that week, I texted Tom and Frank, who are two elders, and I said, guys, I was just in a meeting, and it, like, it grabbed me in such a way that like, I can't be quiet about this. And, and, and not only can I not be quiet about it personally, but we can't be quiet about it as a church. And one of the things that I love in our church is that we walk in such unity, and we walk in such um, like mutual decisions when we make decisions, that by the time that I've gotten on stage to talk about the things, you need to understand that if you don't like what I'm saying, what you're saying is that you have disagreed, and you can do this, but with the prayer and the unity of our elders and staff, because we're walking out, and I'm not walking out on an island here, we have all decided this is that important. This is that important. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about something that's really important. We're going to read the text in 1 John, because we're studying 1 John, and it aligns perfectly like God knows what he's doing, right? Let me read the text to you. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. My little children, isn't that a great opening line on Father's Day? What is John saying? He's not demeaning this group of people, and he's not writing to kids. What he's saying is, my, my, my children in the faith, the ones that John has disciple, that he has grown up, that he brought the gospel to, he's saying, I want you guys to know what is true and right. Like a, like a father teaches his children, John is saying, I want to teach you as my spiritual children how to operate As disciples of Christ. And remember John. He says, and I know how to operate as a disciple of Christ. John would say, because I walked with him. Here's what he would want you to know. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. We are supposed to walk like Christ walked. So I want to show you that this morning. We are supposed to obey his commandments. So I want to show you some of those this morning. But before we get into that, let's start where John started. Where did he start before these two strong exhortations? Where did he start? He started with grace. He started with the reminder of the gospel. And so this morning, I want to start with grace, and I want to start with the reminder of the beauty of the gospel. This is where John starts. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So John's first encouragement is like, "Hey, if you're in Christ, remember, don't sin. That's not our thing. That's not what we do. We're not supposed to practice sin. We're not supposed to be excited about sin. We're not supposed to affirm sin. Uh, we're not supposed to, uh, you know, cuddle up next to sin. Don't sin." don't sin, right? Easy sermon, don't sin, right? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, and he's like, okay, hold on. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Amen. We have an advocate with the Father if we sin. What sin? Any sin. How many sins? All of the sins. We, if we do sin, we're not supposed to sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It goes on to say this. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, if I go back to 1 John 1, in these opening like 15 or 20 verses of 1 John, he just packs it with theological statements. He packs it with the straight line of truth that passed on, that started in the Reformation, that made its way into the evangelical movement, uh, that the the modern heretics and the modern ex-bands uh, and all of those things that they they diverted off of. He includes a couple of them right in here because he's summarizing the gospel. He's saying what? We sin. And he has reminded us in other parts of this verse that if anyone says they uh, they don't sin ever, they're deceived and they're a liar. We all have sinned in us. We're all have fallen short of the glory of God. But if you do sin, good news. We have an advocate. We have somebody who is fighting for us. We have somebody who is pleading our cause, and he's pleading our cause with the Father. And who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. And why he mentions Jesus Christ, the righteous, is because he's teaching us an important part of what the gospel is. And it is the imputation, the double imputation uh, that happens in the gospel, that in the gospel what happens is Christ's righteousness is imputed to me. It's granted to me. Jesus Christ, the righteous, I receive his righteousness when I walk in faith, when I receive the gospel, but it's a double imputation because in the same way that his righteousness is imputed to me, my sinfulness was imputed to Christ in that moment on the cross. And so he bore the wrath of God and I received his righteousness. This is the only way that the gospel is possible. Uh, We can't earn our righteousness. Uh, We never merit righteousness. The free act and the grace of God is that Christ's righteousness is just imputed to me through faith. This, again, is the gospel. He goes on to say this. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the payment for our sins because our sins needed paid for. Because if he didn't face the wrath of God, we would. Because if our sins weren't paid for by Christ on the cross, then we would have to pay for our own sins in eternal separation from God in hell, separated from him. Isn't it amazing when you say things that people have been believing for 2,000 years, but now you say them and people go, well, I haven't heard that in a while. Right. Okay, catch everyone up. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. But he it, it goes on to say this, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world, right? Uh, in other words, the cross was, was big enough and was grand enough and was powerful enough and was strong enough and all of these things to cover everybody's sin. Now, what sins? All of them. All of them. And this morning, we're talking about a very personal and sensitive issue, and I understand that. And as I enter into our conversation around abortion this morning, we start intentionally with grace as a reminder to this, that if you have participated in the sin of abortion in any way, uh, as mother, as father, as whatever else, supporter, that where we start this morning is God's grace, and his grace has covered all of our sins. Jesus is an advocate for you this morning. He has advocated for you. I have had multiple conversations with men who years later have come to me in shame and said, I cannot get over this. I cannot get over the encouragement. I cannot get over what I told them to do. I cannot get over it. The answer to them or the answer to anyone else and the answer to this sin or any other sin is the same. God's grace has covered you. And in this body, you do not need to feel shame. You do not need to hide. You can walk in the freedom of God's grace and deliverance. We love you and we are here to walk with you. We start with his grace. Now, as we start with God's grace in this way, we then see where John takes the text. And he talks about, how we ought not to, right, sin, whatever that sin is, how we ought not to sin, but then he moves it on and he says, okay, now that we know that we're not supposed to sin and that the gospel is gonna come in and transform us and be our advocate, he says, now that the gospel is planted in and in the Christian faith, we always our action always comes out of the gospel, remember this, our action as Christians comes out of the gospel, it doesn't come to earn the gospel or to receive the gospel. And so now the gospel has come in and now as the gospel is broken in here in verse two, Now he's sending us out, and he's going to say those words. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, hey, I know that guy. He's talking about Jesus, right? And they actually put it in quotes. But does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. In other words, somebody who runs around and says, yeah, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but refuses to follow his commands, that person is not in Christ. That person is a liar. He's a liar. And what should our response be to the person who is not in Christ and is a liar? To teach them the gospel so they'll Repent. To love them enough to present to them the true gospel and say, oh, you might have intellectually understood something, but if you don't care about God's commands, the gospel hasn't actually broken in, and so you're still an unsaved person. And my response to every unsaved person, regardless of what sin you're advocating for or believing in is, I want to teach you the gospel so that you can be rescued, because then when the gospel actually breaks in, you won't be a liar anymore. You'll obey his commandments. The gospel is the solution. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What commandments ought we to keep? Well, let me give you a couple of them. Right? We can, we can extrapolate a little bit. What commandments should we keep? Well, how about this one? This is my commandment. This is from John 15, 12 to 13. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What commandment ought we to follow? All of them, but this one in particular, right? That we love our neighbor as ourselves, that we lay our lives down for each other. That is one of the commandments that we ought to follow. Now, as we continue on in the first John text, he goes on and he says, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. And then he goes on. He says, whoever says he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we have on one hand, he's saying, obey the commandments that Christ gave, that shows the genuine nature of your faith. On the other hand, he's saying, how do you know that you're in Christ? You're going to walk as Christ walked. You're going to live as Christ lived. So I think two very natural ways to, to take this text is to ask ourselves the question, what commandments and how then did Christ walk? If I'm to walk like Christ, if that is the fulfillment of John's instruction here, what does that look like? So this morning, again, I'm I'm walking through, I want to talk through a very important and practical way that you and I can walk as Christ walked. Where we can obey his commandments to love our neighbor as ourselves, to lay ourselves down for our friends. And we're going to do that by talking about something that is uh, at stake right now, that is uh, um, present in, in this current moment. This is not distant. This is right here in the state of Ohio. Some of you will be familiar with this because I've already mentioned it a little bit. Others of you, you might be catching wind of it. Um, but what, here, here's what's at stake. Well, I'll tell you what's at stake first, then I'll tell you how it's at stake. What is at stake are three things. Thing number one, the, the fate of the unborn or the preborn uh, in our state for generations to come. That's thing number one that's at stake. Th- thing number two that is at stake is the, 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 the plight or the right of parents to parent their children and not have the state or a judge parent their children in our state. That's the second thing that's at stake. The third thing that is at stake is the, the, the right of law or justice in our state. Will it go to the highest bidder, uh, right, uh, and, and basically we just add them on to bribery, or will we have a, uh, a rule of law that is sustainable through generations? Those are the three things that are at stake right now uh, at our state. I'll show you how they are, and here's my point. I'll tell you my point right now, that if we are to walk as Christ walked, If we are to obey his commandments, to love our neighbor as ourselves, then it demands that we take action. It demands it. To not do so would be a violation of loving your neighbor as yourself. And to not do so would be to violate walking as Christ walked. Let me give you A verse that tells us what Jesus thinks about life. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Anything that leads to destruction is from the enemy. Anything that leads to life is from God. God's on team life. The enemy is on team death. The verse tells us this. Now, how does the thief steal and kill and destroy? He does so in our minds. He does so uh, through spiritual attack. We know this is all true. But the thief also uses methods like money and power and media and influence and government and all sorts of things to steal and kill and destroy. And we as Christians have to call a spade a spade when we look in and say, that is an attack of the enemy because the end result is stealing, killing, and destroying. And when we look right now, uh, it's funny because you can take these three things, steal, kill, and destroy. And I look at what's out and being proposed right now and it's uh, attempting to steal parental rights, it's attempting to kill the unborn, and it's attempting to destroy the rule of law. That's pretty clear to me. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and may have it to the full. Now let's take a second and talk about these three issues. Issue number one, we'll talk about the fate of the preborn, the unborn in our state. I, I haven't said this yet. In November, anyone who's registered to vote, and if you're not registered to vote, you literally can today in the lobby, okay? Out in the lobby, you can get registered to vote today. All of us will have a chance to vote in November on an amendment for the state that will determine whether or not there will be unfettered abortion access in our state for generations to come or not. And when it comes to abortion, let me take a second. First off, we have been inundated for 40 and 50 years now to believe junk science. 35% of Americans believe that life begins at fertilization. One third. Contrast this with 95% of international biologists believe that life begins at fertilization. Why the contrary? Because we've been lied to and manipulated for 40, 50 years to believe that that life in the womb is not a life. That's what we have been taught. Here is the amendment itself. I'm going to show you the wording. And then, By the way, when I get into this, some of you might have believed a lie, and the lie you believe is, Stephen, you're not even allowed to talk about this in church. Oh, you better believe I am, okay? You better believe I am. Let me just say this. Even if I weren't, I still would, okay? Here's the amendment. This will, you will vote on this in November, Every individual, important words, I'll return to them, has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, by the way, that fourth one right there is a lie and is blatant fear-mongering because nothing the other side has proposed will remove miscarriage care, and abortion. Abortion. Let me translate some language here. This is what the amendment itself will say. Let me translate the language. And you say, well, where are you getting your, 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 your information? Experts in this field that I've met with uh, on multiple, multiple bases, right? But also legal experts who are seeing what is happening in other states. Let me translate. Every individual means this. Minors without parental consent. That's what every individual means. Including but not limited to means this, transition or sex change surgeries. Abortion means this, unregulated abortion superseding every current law on our books. Some of you fought hard for the heartbeat bill. That will disappear. This will supersede everything because it will be written into the Ohio Constitution. Again, What is at stake in this? The fate of children, the preborn for generations. Because once it is in the Ohio Constitution, getting it out of the Ohio Constitution will be unbelievably difficult or near impossible. Secondly, the fate of parental rights. I'll explain that more in a second. And again, that right now, basically you can spend $50 million and make the Ohio Constitution say whatever you want it to say. And if you think this is on there now, just think about what it will be in the future. What do we do in response to this? Let's look at Jesus' words because we are supposed to walk as Jesus walked, right? What did Jesus say in the midst of these situations? He said, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let me be very clear. I don't care if you're writing a bill, if you're a judge, if you're a politician, if you're campaigning, if you're anything. If you're advocating for the destruction of human life in the womb or the usurping of parental uh, rights, you are a wolf. Okay? You are a wolf. In the midst of wolves, what are we to do? We are to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What does innocent mean? It means we will not sin in our pursuits. We will not cheat in our pursuits. But we will be wise. We will be wise. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is two things. In a fight. And this is a fight. This is a fight. And it's Father's Day. So dads, it's time to fight. Right? And in a fight, you need two things. You need knowledge of your enemy. And you need knowledge of your victory. We need both of those things. And so we're gonna go to the great wisdom text of the scripture where Christ was often personified as wisdom in those moments. And if we're to walk as Christ walked, then we can learn from the great Proverbs uh, and the great wisdom literature. So I'm gonna pop back to Proverbs 24:8 and show you uh, something this morning that I think is really important. Proverbs 24:8. let let's start with these words. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. Let me call a couple people schemers this morning. Planned Parenthood, schemers. The ACLU, schemers. Anyone right now who's trying to advocate for the passage of this, schemers. Anyone who plans to do evil This is not spontaneous. This is not like, oops, I messed up. This is an intentional plan to do evil. Stephen, tell me what evil is. I'll tell you what evil is. Killing babies and stealing parental rights. Evil. That's evil. And when there's a plan in place to make that happen, then we have to know the plan. So I took some time this week, and I tried to show you the plan. Okay? Here's the plan to do evil that is working right now in our state. Here's the plan. Plan number one, or part number one, take the issue, and the issue is abortion and parental rights, take the issue directly to the voter, rule by the mob. Plan number two, or part number two, spend tens of millions of dollars, and they will, of outside money the, 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 the worst of organizations across our nation will pour tens of millions of dollars into our state to advance their plan of evil, to sway a small percentage of people lying to the public through fear-mongering and intentionally misleading scientific claims. Over the next six weeks and the next four months, you will see ad after ad after ad after ad, and they will be full of lies. And they will try to trick people into thinking this is just a health care bill. That tissue is not life. You need to protect women in the uh, in the lowest and most extreme of circumstances, you would be barbaric to not vote for it in November. They're going to get lied to. They're going to manipulate. They're going to use marketing. They're going to use experts in the field. They're going to use all of these things and spend tens of millions of dollars to do it. And the uninformed voter will not know what to do. But I am not doing my job as a shepherd, as a pastor, if I don't use the platform that God has given me to tell and encourage you do not participate with evil don't do it don't partner with it <laughs> part three pass a state amendment to codify abortion into law making it nearly impossible to overturn and thus ensuring the death of the preborn for generations to come that's part number three Right now, in the state of Ohio, in order to change the Ohio Constitution, which has been done over and over and over and over because it's so easy to change the Ohio Constitution, all it takes is a 50% vote plus one. 50% vote plus one. Think about that. That's the Ohio Constitution. Let me translate that. Spend $50 million, make the Constitution say whatever you want it to say. That's the way the system works right now. And they know that. That's why they're playing to this system. I'll explain our battle plan in a moment. Number four. Step four. This is where you better get fired up because this is where I started getting fired up. You're like, you're not fired up yet? Not yet. Hold on. Okay. Include vague language in the amendment so that liberal lawyers and judges can broaden definitions, therefore expanding abortion rights to unfettered access or at any time during a pregnancy. The soul of our state is at stake. The way the law is written is this. If you can find an abortion doctor to, uh, uh, to, per, uh, to, to participate in the abortion up into including nine months or, or right at the, 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 the you know, partial abortion, right then and there, then if you can find it, then it's legal. The state or the soul of our state is at, is at stake here, friends. And trust me, there will always be an abortion doctor who will say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Step five. This is when I started getting angry. Step five. Use these legislative victories and loose definitions to pivot into gender transition surgery, as I showed it to you earlier in the amendment, as health care while simultaneously debilitating parental rights rights. Laws, thus creating an environment of transition surgery without parental consent. Father, if in five years from right now you do not want your teenage daughter coming back and saying, I transition without your knowledge, then fight now. At that point in time, the law will not be on our side. At this point, we have a chance. You say, oh, Stephen, this is, this is extreme, and, uh, and, and you're planning to do evil and all of that. You're just making this up. No. This is exactly, exactly what the pro-death side has done in six other states already. And you're already reading about it. We've seen it in Canada. We are seeing it in California right now. And it is this legislation and legislation uh, modeled, or this legislation is modeled after that legislation. We just saw it happen in Michigan. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, right, this plan has been in effect six different times or variations of it. And the pro life, pro parent side of the plan is 0 for 6. 0 for 6. Right, the right side, the side of righteousness, is 0 for 6. Ohio is the seventh state to fight this battle. Fitting, because we are the seventh largest state in the nation. Eleven states have this on the uh, on their ballot next year in 2024. And let me say this: We are the line in the sand. We are the beacon of hope to show people this evil can be stopped. If Ohio does not stop it, 11 states next year, eventually what we will do is we will live in a barbaric nation. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Some of you may have listened to the same one. And this person said, uh, there's one piece of legislation that determines whether a nation can exist. I won't talk about that in a moment. He said, there's another legislation that determines whether or not a nation should exist, should exist. And his first one, I won't say what that one is, but his second one, he said this. Abortion, abortion and the right of the family is the legislation that determines whether or not a nation should even exist. What do you do with the most helpless? What do you say about the family? Let me tell you very clearly. This is not what I'm talking about. People having life and life to the full as Jesus said we are too. This is the ending of life, 31,000 Ohio human beings every year. This is usurping parental authority. We have to remember this on Father's Day. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. We have to remember the Psalm that says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. The arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Those children are a blessing from God given to us, moms and dads, to be arrows. Arrows. Arrows what? When we train and we develop them and we partner and we disciple and uh, and we raise them up and then we send them like arrows into the heart of darkness. Passing it on from generation to generation. But what is happening right now? Now, the enemy, uh, and he uses the government for most part to do this, wants to take the arrow and send it back at the heart of the parent and the church. The enemy trying to redirect the arrow. These kids are our children. We have been called to protect them. And there is something right now that we can do to do that. Now, I said we are to be as wise as serpents. When you're as wise as serpents, you need, a, you need to know your enemy, right? But Then you also need to know your path to victory. And our path to victory will require two things. Number one, a plan of our own. And number two, a power. A plan and a power. So let me show you. Here's our plan. You say, whose who's, who's plan? Well, ours, because I just made this up, okay? All right. Here's our plan. But I will share this with people. Number one, wake Up the church. Wake up the church. There have been countless, I've been in different meetings uh, with pastors, and I will say this, I'm optimistic that there are more pastors getting uh, 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 turned on and and activating a little bit, right? We've got some big meetings coming up, so keep praying. Um, But but step one is to wake up the church. Oh, anyway, in those meetings, people are, are, they're they're, they're quoting our our good buddy, Eric Metaxas, over and over and over and talking about the fate of the German church and the church needing to wake up and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But I, I like a different World War II metaphor for this one. Here's the World War II metaphor I like for what's happening right now. Now, uh, uh, the United States, with all of its power, with all of its potential, with all of its might, stood idly by for a season as uh, the world descended into darkness, uh, as the plight of the Jews uh, w- w- was abysmal in Germany, uh, as battle was going on, and, and the United States, with all of its power and all of its potential, idly sat by and watched until what? December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. And the Prime Minister of Japan said what words? He said, I fear all we have done is awaken the sleeping giant. The church and the church in our state and the church in our nation is the sleeping giant that has to realize that this legislation is a Pearl Harbor attack and is a moment to activate. We are the sleeping giant. In in Virginia... In Virginia, a couple of years ago, uh, in a governor's election, there, uh, uh, there, there was incredibly disturbing parental rights conversations going on by the sitting governor. He was ousted by a pro-parent governor that won by, I think, 60-something thousand votes. Let me say this. This is what people, most people don't know. He won by 60,000-something votes. Churches in Virginia that year registered 70,000 new voters, okay? Listen, if you can't see the connection there, be as wise as a serpent. Be as wise as a serpent. We can sit back and we can watch an affront, an affront on your rights as a parent, on the rule of law on the fate of the unborn, or we can do something. And so the first thing we got to do is we got to wake up the church. If you're connected to other pastors, if you're connected to other people that go to other churches, which I know everybody is, you need to be saying to them, are you talking about this? Are you doing something about this? Are you awake? Do you understand what's happening? Are you willing to fight with us? Wake up the church. And I will continue to do my part uh, in meetings uh, across the state and with people to continue to call pastors to this. Number two, we have to raise awareness among the like-minded We have to raise awareness among the like-minded. We wise as serpents. And so this is why we are uh, talking about it, right? You can't let evil go on unchecked. You have to talk about it. You have to talk about it. And so uh, we have to raise awareness among the like-minded. That's why I'm talking to you. You can share this sermon with other people, okay? Um, And by the way, let me say this. We have an advantage right now as the church to begin to talk about these things before uh, the other side begins to ramp up their evil lies. There's a, this is one of the first times I've seen in my life where we have the advantage to go on offense instead of defense. Okay? So let's go. We have to raise awareness. One way you can raise awareness is this. If you want to get more involved, you can go to our website, experienceredemption.com, uh, click over. There's something that says protect uh, on our website, and just go there and fill out the protect form, and then you will hear from us on how you can get more involved. But we have to raise awareness among the like-minded. Number three. Here's our third part of our plan. Vote. Yes. Stephen. you can't tell people how to vote. Yes, I can. Okay? Legally speaking, I can. Okay? Practically speaking, I don't care. Vote yes. On August 8th, let me tell you what August 8th is. August 8th is a measure that will take the, 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 the threshold to change the Ohio Constitution from 50%, which can be bought by anybody who spends enough money, to 60%. Michigan, okay? Those crazy people up in Michigan, okay? Uh, they, when their abortion amendment was on last, uh, last um, November, they only got 56 or 57%, okay? Down here in Ohio, where we have good football teams and good people, right? We the threshold of 60% will be almost impossible for the other side to get. August is an absolutely essential part of the battle plan. People are like, you can't vote in August. That's what most people think, right? And that's why there's 6% voter turnout in special elections like this. In August, this will be the only thing you will vote for. You're not voting for a trustee. You're not voting for a mayor. You're not voting for anything else. On August 8th, there will be one thing on the ballot, and it is issue one, which will take the threshold from 50% to 60%. Vote yes on August 8th. Vote yes on August 8th. No in November. We made it easy, right? No in November. Yes in August. And here's what happens. Uh, if, the, uh, if, the, if the threshold goes from 50% to 60%, then the other side, they can throw tens of millions of dollars. But to, but to, but to lie that much and to, to switch that many people's minds will be very, very, very difficult. Now, in order to vote, you need to be registered. You need to be registered. If you're not registered to vote, I can't think of a better reason to get registered to vote than protecting life. I can't think of a better reason to get registered to vote than to make sure that as a parent, you get to parent your children, not the state. I can't think of a, re- a, a better reason to, to, to get registered to vote. You're like, well, you've already given two. Okay, well, it's all in one. Okay. Uh, to, to get registered to vote than to say the state of Ohio will not be bought by outside interest groups. Yes. Okay. These are all important. And so if you're not, you can literally do it today out in the lobby. Uh, some of you, you might have moved, and you need to get it updated, and you say, okay, I'm going to push it off. If you're not registered by July 10th, you cannot vote in August. July 10th, that's like two weeks away, three weeks away, okay? So you need to be registered. The second thing you do is you need to be reminded. Uh, and so on your way out, we're gonna, we have one of these by every family, okay? Uh, one for every family. It is a prayer uh, between now and August, Okay? And so I encourage you, every family, take one of these and pray together as a family. And by the way, dads, I can't think of a better thing for you to do with your family. Hey, guys, why are we praying? Why are we doing this? Father, you get to say this to your child. One, because we care about the life of the unborn. But two, because your dad wants to be your father, not the government. And so I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to walk you through this, and we're going to fight for this thing as a family because we believe in something. And so you can walk them through that for six weeks. What a great discipleship opportunity in the home. But also in here, there's a reminder. And so you can put this on the fridge, right? And then on the back... Um, there is uh, a bunch of um, instructions on, and, and some more explanation. And on the bottom, there's this little thing that says vote yes on August 8th. It's a pledge. And I would encourage you on your way home today, somebody in your family, take the pledge, right? Because what it'll do is it'll send you updates in the important battle. And so every family, you can grab one of these on your way out. Before it is written, I was so happy to see this. Uh, many of you have probably heard of Alistair Begg. Uh, he's a pastor in Cleveland. And I, I, I told many people, he's the most influential pastor in Ohio. And I am so excited that he got engaged in this fight. And he wrote the foreword to this. And so you can grab one of these on your way out and, um, and partner, partner with us. Um, number four, number four, so that's vote yes on August 8th. I cannot, I've tried, I cannot express the importance of August 8th. Statistically speaking, if, we, if there's not a yes win in August, it will be unbelievably difficult to stop the amendment from happening in November. Listen to me, August is essential. It is essential. Protect, protect, protect. Do not put it off. Do not put it off. Step four of our plan, vote on November 7th. Vote no on November 7th. That's when the actual amendment will be on. So we're talking two different things. Vote no on November 7th. You're like, Stephen, how am I gonna remember all of this? Oh, trust me, I'll be talking more, okay? Five, pray, 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 pray. That's why we're giving you this, right? Pray, 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 pray. And here, get get how cool this is. Hundreds of churches across the state of Ohio are gonna pass these things out too. Guys, what if, listen. What if the revival that we have been praying for starts when the church in the state of Ohio, stands up to evil. What if this was the exact moment where God was looking down and saying, In this moment, will you stand up? As for me and my household, yes, we will. As for us in this church, yes, we will. Now, we also need a power. We need a power, not just a plan, but a power. So let me tell you about our power. Look at the next verse. I love this. In Proverbs 24, so I read eight. Whoever plans to do evil will be called the schemer. Look at verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Is small. Where does our power come from? Our power comes from going exactly back where John started in 1 John. Our power comes out of the gospel, it comes out of the fact that Christ Jesus was our advocate. The next line in Proverbs says this rescue those who are being taken away to death. There was the greatest moment of adversity where all of humanity was being taken away to spiritual death death. And in that moment, we needed a power that was outside of us. And we had one in Christ Jesus, the righteous, whose strength was not found small in the greatest moment of adversity. Instead, his strength was found uh, plentiful. And he faced the cross. He secured our righteousness and redemption. And then through his ascension, when his Holy Spirit came, he infused the same power in us. And if Christ Jesus, through his gospel, was an advocate for us when we were being marched toward death, if Christ Jesus satisfied the full nature of the law and the full nature of our needed holiness on the cross, if he stood up for us when we were helpless, it is now time for us to be an advocate for those who need it. It is time for us through the power of Christ that now resides in us to stand up in the moment of adversity in our state for our strength not to be found small. Fathers, I know this because I know you. One of your favorite things to say to your children when you tuck them into bed at night is hey, don't worry. Dad's in the house. Don't worry, dad's in the house. You don't need to be scared about what's under, you don't need to be, dad's here, dad's here, dad's here. Say it to my children all the time, I'm sure you do as well. As a collective group of the followers of Christ representing the father, we are saying to a state on the brink of evil, don't worry, God is here. And he's here in the power of his church. He's here. He's here. He's here. This is not just work. This is not just political or social action. This is the very work of the gospel. This is the very work of the gospel to push back darkness and bring light. And so let our strength be found plentiful. Friends, I'm giving you the action steps. We will talk more about this in the coming days. What an opportunity to do something that doesn't just reverberate in our little town, but reverberates in our state. But I think we'll reverberate in our nation. I don't think that's hyperbole. Let's fight together. Let's pray. Father, I pray first to those who just need to be reminded of the power of grace, the beauty of the gospel. And so I pray that grace has just flooded hearts today. And Father, I pray that that grace flooding our hearts this morning will now inspire, empower, and equip us to be about the work of your kingdom. And Father, I pray you use us, our little small group of people here, to fight this battle. I pray that you would wake up your church across this state Father, I pray that you would raise awareness through our efforts to like-minded people who believe in your gospel as well. And Father, we are not ashamed to pray for this absolute and full victory, that life would be protected, that your family structure would be protected. Give us the wisdom of serpents and the power of Jesus Christ the righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.